Uh, we are in week number seven in our summer series, The Grace Impact. Thank you to Pastor Jason for being here and uh, so capably giving us part in week number six. Today's key verse, John 1, verse 14. The Word, that's Jesus, became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. And here's what Jesus was all about. He was full of grace and... Okay? See it up there, right? Jesus was full of grace and truth. What a powerful combination. Full of grace and also full of truth. Perfectly balanced. And I'm convinced that as followers of Jesus... We're not just supposed to know about and appreciate. Well, that's great. Jesus was full of grace and truth, and God's grace is amazing and wonderful. I'm really glad about that. We're actually called to be imitators of the grace and the truth that Jesus demonstrated. So it's not just, oh, I like it, I appreciate it. Thanks for your grace, Jesus. We're actually supposed to follow and imitate Jesus. And we too, everywhere we go, we are supposed to be practicers and demonstrators of the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. Got it? So not just, not just I appreciate it and I know about it. I'm commanded to allow grace to so impact my life that if somebody would cut us, we would bleed grace and truth. You understand? We, we would, we're that into grace and living it out that, that we actually bleed grace everywhere we go. This morning we're going to dissect two passages in the book of John. And we're going to see grace and truth in action by Jesus Christ. And we're going to see some components of what grace is all about and where it comes from. Locate with me on your phone, in your Bible, John chapter 4. Gospel of John chapter 4. Jesus has an encounter with a woman from Samaria. It's very interesting. Would you stand with me if you're able, please? We're going to read the first nine verses of John chapter 4. And as we read... Watch for grace and truth as it appears in God's book. You ready? Here we go. Let's read. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Though in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we need to get schooled by you today 
on grace and truth. We need your help. We just acknowledge that the world we live in is starving for glimpses of grace from us. And as followers of your son Jesus, we're the only ones that have been gifted with your grace. So train us today from your word. Make us hungry and eager, not just to be knowers of your book, and fill our head with more facts. Lord, would you help us today become doers? To actually apply what we're going to learn today from your word? Give us that, uh, that, that desire to put it into practice. I just pause just for a moment now, Lord, because we've got some folks here in your church this morning. We have some folks watching online. I know, Lord, are hurting and suffering. Some are in pain. Some are feeling all alone. Some are so overwhelmed with situations they're facing. And Lord, even now, would you rain down your grace and your mercy on them in their time of need? And help us, Lord, to notice them. Help us to pay attention to the folks around us who need us to care and listen and pray and encourage one another. Would you help us to do that today in your church? We're ready now to dig in. We're ready to learn from your word and your son Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Lord, your church, we're, we're listening. We're ready to hear from you. And all the church family at Wallen Lake said with one united voice. Amen. Amen. Samaritans of Jesus' day hated each other. They despised each other. Truly, it, it made the rivalry between Wolverines and Buckeyes look like a little kid's game, okay? You, you're thinking, well, well, well maybe it's, it's even more. Maybe it's more like Yankees and Red Sox, because those people, they hate each other. No, no, it's more like the Palestinians and the Jews in Israel today. You understand? They, they hate each other. They, they want to kill each other. The Jews so disliked the Samaritans, they refused to walk on Samaritan ground. They, they so hated Samaritans, they wouldn't even walk through the land. So if you were going from the Sea of Galilee, you can look at a map, and they had to go to Jerusalem, which they had too often. Uh, if you were a pious Jew, you would actually cross over to uh, the other side of the River Jordan, go all the way around, and then come up to Jerusalem. So you didn't have to walk on Samaritan ground. I don't think any of you who are going to the East Coast are going to drive all the way down through Indiana and then cut over into Kentucky to avoid Ohio. Do you understand? I realize you might not appreciate the Buckeyes, but you're not going to add several hours to your trip because you so despise them. I'm telling you, they added several days to their trip. They would not walk through Samaria. So, Samaritans were half Jews, half Assyrians. When the Assyrians defeated them in 712, um, they were forced to intermarry. They didn't have a choice, and now they became half Assyrian and half 
Jew, as far as the Jews were concerned, you're Gentile. You're, you're, you're a half-breed. Uh, you're not one of us. They refused them entrance into the temple. Uh, so therefore, the Samaritans said, if you won't let us come to Jerusalem and uh, be a good Jew and worship, we'll create our own religion. And that's exactly what they did. They created their own Bible. They formed it from the first five books of the Old Testament, and they made adjustments as they felt necessary. They built their own temple. They had their own form of worship. You understand? The Jews looked at them and said, you know what? You are heretics. You are false followers of God. We will have nothing to do with Samaritans. Which is why verse 4, look at it, is so interesting. Verse 4 says this, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Okay, I want you to, want you to say it with me because it really is interesting. Jesus had to go through Samaria. And I'm sure his disciples were thinking, no, no, Jesus, you really don't. We really don't want to go through Samaria. We, we don't want to get a, a bad reputation. We don't want people thinking poorly about us. We can go around, cross on the other side of the Jordan River like everybody else does. We really don't have to go through Samaria. <laughs> Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? Because there was a woman in the town of Sychar who needed grace and truth. That's why he had to go. There, there was someone that needed Jesus to deliver grace and truth. So, Jesus is choosing to go right into a messy and controversial situation. Tough, challenging place that Jesus put himself into. He, he, he willingly had to go through Samaria, and we can relate to that because we're living in a place that's getting harder and harder for us to navigate. We live today in a world, let's just be honest, that's really touchy. And you've got to be really careful what you say these days, or you can get yourself in hot water in a hurry. Uh, we're living in volatile times where people take offense easily. I don't know if any of you have ever said something and suddenly now what you've said for years, now suddenly someone is offended and they explode on you. I'm just telling you, today is difficult and messy oftentimes to talk and to relate to people. So again, I just want you to see that we're not the first ones to live in difficult, messy, controversial times. Jesus uh, found himself there often. We're going to see another situation in just a moment. But, but in case you're thinking, oh, this is the worst it's ever been. No, no, not, not by a long shot. Hold your spot. Let's go to uh, uh, John chapter 8. We'll come back to John chapter 4 in just a minute. A few pages to your right. Uh, here's another tough, challenging situation that Jesus finds himself in. We'll uh, pick up with verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. 
And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis to accuse Jesus. Verse 6, huge, trap. We're going to put Jesus in a no-win situation. We're going to put Jesus in a corner and then watch him squirm. That was the plan. That was the trap. Leviticus 20 and verse 10, Deuteronomy 22 and verse 22 tell us that both the woman and the man caught in adultery. What's adultery? You're married to someone else and now you have sexual relations with someone that you're not married to. The punishment was that both parties, the man and the woman, who were caught in adultery were to be stoned to death. Maybe you're thinking, so why is that a trap? Well, John 18.31, we discover at the end of the book of John that the religious leaders who wanted to execute Jesus, they couldn't just execute people without Rome's permission. Do you understand? In other words, they had to go to the Romans and get their permission before they carried out capital punishment. Well, right here, that's not what they're doing. They're trying to egg Jesus on. Come on, let's just implement the Old Testament law. Let's stone her to death right now without Roman approval. So, here's the trap. Jesus, are you going to tick off the Romans? Are you just going to enact Leviticus 20, verse 10, Deuteronomy 22, and call for the stoning of this woman? We've got the rocks. We're ready to go. We're ready to carry it out. Or, Jesus, uh, are you going to tick off the religious Old Testament law-abiding Jews by not enforcing the law of Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 22? Understand? Here you are, you got this situation, and, and it's, it's kind of a lose-lose situation. What are you going to do, Jesus? And, and you know what? Again, we're, we're living in a day, it's getting tougher and tougher. You got people trying to trap us, trying, we're followers of Jesus, and they know it. They're trying to make us look bad. Note, Jesus faced lots of opposition, lots of enemies, people who had a magnifying glass on him, and they were ready to attack. And yet, in your eyes, he was able to speak with grace and truth. Even though it was difficult, even though it was challenging to navigate, Jesus was able, with wisdom and power, to navigate a really challenging, tough situation. And he'll do the same for us. He'll enable us with wisdom and power and strength to navigate with grace and truth. So, with those two situations as our model, I'd like to give to you some three key components of what, what it means to demonstrate grace and truth in our everyday lives. This is practical, y'all, because we're living in this, in this world and it's hostile and they've got the magnifying glass on us. How do we live out daily grace and truth. Kevin Cleavorn gave me a copy of the devotional that he receives from Promise FM. Here's the key thought there. Grace is like a garment you have to put on each morning and wear it all day. Grace is like a garment you have to put on every morning and you wear it all day long. Here's my updated revised course version. Grace is like underwear 
that we must change daily because grace only lasts for a day and then your life begins to stink, okay? So that's, that's my version of... <laughs> so with, with that picture dancing around your brain, uh, here's the first component. Here, here's the first thing that you need to understand about grace and truth, okay? When Jesus brings people into our path, how are we going to live grace and truth? First thing, you can take a note here, got a place on your bulletin, jot it down. Daily, we must make it the priority of life to put on Jesus. You understand? In other words, if we're going to demonstrate grace and truth, the first priority of our lives is put Jesus on first thing. We, we need to make that the thing, the passion of our lives. We look at Jesus with this woman in the well, chapter 4, and he's got such wisdom and insight and grace. And you know what I say when I look at John chapter 4? I say, well, that's Jesus. He's the second person of the Trinity, and clearly I'm not Jesus, amen? Go ahead, you can say, and I'm not Jesus, amen? And you're not Jesus, amen? <laughs> okay, so what do you expect? I can't do it this way. Except, you got these verses like Galatians 2 and verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives where? Oh, so I'm not alone anymore. I suddenly now have someone to give me the insight, the wisdom, the power to live out my life with grace and truth. I'll give you one more. Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20. And it says, And His incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. Listen close. It sounds too good to believe. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Same power. Where does it live now? In me. In us. Jeremy Camp's got a really good song. Might want to write that down. Jeremy Camp. Uh, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. Lives in. It's true. So you're right. You can't do it. But Jesus Christ in you has the power for us to live and behave grace and truth. But we've got to learn to daily say no thank you to the old sinful, selfish nature. Galatians 5, 19-21. That's where we automatically go. This is our lives apart from Jesus. Okay? And every day I've got to say, no, no, I'm not going there. Instead... Galatians 5, verse 22. Instead, I say, no, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Instead of putting on my old sinful Jeff, ugly... Uh, I don't think I'm going to say that. Uh, started to go into the underwear mode. I thought, no, let, let's just keep it here on the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not going to go there. Instead, Jesus, I need you. If I'm going to navigate well and live with grace and truth, I'm going to have to daily, daily put on Jesus. Put up, put, 
Right here, Galatians. I, I gotta put your fruit on my life. Gotta take time to drink streams of living water. I'll say it again. Grace and truth is something that Jesus navigated well. And Jesus in you can do the same. See, that's the problem. We think we can do it. No, you can't. Every time we're going to just cause awful things to go on when I try to navigate life without Jesus alive and in me. That, that's the secret of life. Second component of the love and grace of Jesus that we see here. This is, this is something, as I read this over and over this week, it just kept jumping to me. It's the power of asking lots of questions. Jesus demonstrates all the time Jesus is asking questions. Who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, 15. Do you believe? Mark 9, 24. Matthew 21, 22. Do you want to get well? John 5, 1 to 5. Why are you so afraid? Matthew 8, 26. Why do you doubt? Matthew 14, 26. What does Scripture say? Luke 10, 25 to 28. Do you love me, Peter? Three times. Luke 10, 25 to 28. Can anyone by worrying add a single hour to their life? Matthew 6, 27. Somebody did the math 135 times in the Gospels. Jesus is asking questions. Isn't that interesting? Everywhere he goes, before Jesus speaks almost always, he, he knows the answer, but he's asking questions. Now when we go back to John chapter 4, how does he begin the conversation? John 4, verse 7. Will you give me a drink? <laughs> he knows who this is. He knows what's supposed to be the social norms. And she says, verse 9, uh, How can you ask me for a drink? You're not supposed to be talking to me. And then she says, Where can we get this living water? Questions spark conversations. Questions bring out discussion. And then when you go to John 8, there's this woman caught in adultery. And Jesus is just remaining silent. And he's writing powerful stuff in the dirt. And I would just, we could go a long way just to be quiet. At times when it's controversial and it's tense, Jesus just says nothing. And then when everybody leaves, look at verse 10, John chapter 8. Woman, where are your accusers? No one has condemned you. I'm convinced that Jesus, with his example, shows us the powerful nature of questions. Forces us to be quiet and listen and learn about the person the Lord put in our path. Why do you believe that? Tell, tell me about where that comes from. Explain to me uh, why that's a part of, of your thinking. Tell me about the family that you grew up in. I'm telling you, questions are powerful, but the problem is most of us, we're in too much of a hurry. We're in too much of a rush. I don't have time to ask people questions, and I for sure don't have time to sit and listen to their answers. You know why we don't do this? Because we're way too busy. We're, our schedules have no margin in them, and we're rushing to and fro, and, and I just don't have time to ask good questions, and I for sure don't have time to listen and answer them. 
Jesus got more accomplished than anybody ever, but he was never in a hurry. Isn't that amazing? Never in a rush. And he was amazing at answering questions and asking them especially. And again, you're going to say, well, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> I, I'm not good at asking questions. I, I, I don't think I can take the time to do that. And, and I would say once again, you're right. You're not Jesus, nor am I. But I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives where? Tell yourself, where does Jesus live today? In me. You're right, you can't do it. But Jesus in you can do it. And Jesus can school you and teach you through His Spirit and His Word to begin asking good questions. And then most importantly, then taking the time to listen. First component, for us to become people of grace and truth, make it the key core habit of your life to put Jesus on, to let Jesus and His Spirit rule and reign in your life. Second key component we learn here is become uh, people of grace and truth is to learn to ask lots of questions. Become a person, you're just hungry to ask questions and then eager to listen and slow down enough to actually respond to the person as they answer your question. Third and final component. If we're going to become people of grace and truth, recognize that grace doesn't ignore or excuse sin. See, a lot of times we're thinking, well, if I'm, if I'm filled with grace... I just look the other way. I pretend as though, no, you're not, that's not, I don't see any sin. Do you see any sin? And I'm not bringing up that word. But grace doesn't ignore or excuse sin. Go back to chapter 4, John, uh, and verse 16. It's interesting. Jesus has had this discussion with this woman at the well, asking questions. She's asking questions. And then he says to the woman, go call your husband and come back. And it's like, really, Jesus? Did you have to bring this part up? <laughs> uh, and she, because he knew, and she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, you don't. Uh, and the man you're sleeping with right now is not your husband. But you've had five husbands before you moved in with number six. Here's the point. Jesus treats this woman with grace and truth, and he's not afraid to call sin, sin. I was to, if I was going to uh, entitle this something, grace does have a backbone. Okay? It's okay for grace to actually stand up and speak truth. Um, he doesn't ignore or excuse sin, and neither should we. But note, give me your eyes, because this is huge. He doesn't lead, he doesn't begin the conversation by calling sin, sin. That's key, because that's where we get ours. Immediately, we're right there, and we're jumping. And what you're doing is wrong and sin. Instead, Jesus leads with kindness and questions and listening. He's caring. And when he does call sin, sin, he's not accusing, he's not condemning, he's not belittling, he's not making light of this woman, none of that. He's pointing out the sad situation that she finds herself in. Do you see? In other words, 
He's saying, you're trying to fill this void in your soul with husband after husband after husband after husband after husband after live-in. Not working out so well, is it? He's pointing out to her that, that the path she's on is not working well. And he's saying, you really should try me in the living water that I'm offering you. Um, go to John chapter 8, because the woman caught in adultery, very same thing. Uh, after all those who wanted to stone her to death and trap Jesus have left, Jesus says, where are your accusers? None are left, she says. Verse 11 is huge. Neither do I condemn you. Catch it. Go. And what? Okay, you, you got it. Okay. Neither do I condemn you, he says to the woman. Go and what? Sin no more. Did you catch the balance of grace and truth here? I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to attack you. I'm not here to throw rocks at you. But I also want you to recognize that your life of sin and adultery is taking you to bad places. Go and sin no more. It's not working. The goal of Jesus is not to ignore or excuse sin. Instead, deal squarely and honestly with it. Do you see that he's got this perfect balance? He's not rubbing the noses of sinners in their sin. He's not making them feel like condemned losers. He's not attacking and judging them. Why? Because his purpose in pointing out their sinful ways is to challenge them to follow him. Your false will is not working out well, is it? Your multiple husbands, your life of adultery, that's, that's not working out for you, is it? Can I offer you instead a life of following me? And I'm going to bring joy to the max into your life if you'll follow me. We're called to live lives filled with grace and truth. And that's something we're called as followers of Jesus Christ to imitate. I'm just telling you, never before, at least in my lifetime, has there been a world so desperately starving for grace and truth. The world around, they need us to start following and imitating Jesus in this way. Okay? If you're going to be salt and light in a world getting more and more grace-starved, and I believe getting darker and further away from the gospel. First of all, make it your daily passion to put Jesus on. Kids, I say this a lot, but it's so basic. You gotta, you gotta get rid of the sin and confess and get clean and now invite the king to take charge and drink streams of living water. Allow his spirit to flow in you. Priority number one. Secondly, ask Jesus to help you to become a person that can artfully, wisely, graciously ask questions. And Lord, would you help me to slow down enough? Would you help me to make enough margin in my life that I actually have time to listen and care for the people you put in my path? They're not accidents. They really, they really there. The Lord did bring them into your life. And finally, Lord... I'm not going to be a person who ignores or excuses sin, but I'm also not going to be a person who's going to attack 
and belittle and condemn sinners. Balance there. I'm not going to ignore it, but I'm not going to attack it. I'm going to speak honestly with grace so these folks you put in my life, they can realize, you know what? Things aren't going so well right now. My false God, my false well, it's, it's going nowhere. Perhaps this Jesus could change things, and He will. And He does. We're called to be people who live out with our lives and our words, grace and truth. How are you doing on that? How are you doing recently? People around you say, oh yeah, person of grace and truth. Or the people who know you best say, uh, not so much, room for improvement. Let's pray together as we close. Lord, thank you that everybody here today is in process, myself included. None of us have arrived. None of us speak grace and truth all the time, every day. But Lord, some of us really are, uh, are not trying very hard. Perhaps we didn't even know we were supposed to be making this a priority. So would you help us, Lord, to begin allowing grace and truth to take root in our lives? Could be, Lord, that uh, we've just not taken the time to get filled with you, to allow your son Jesus to take charge of our lives every day. Lord, and if that's not the number one habit in our lives, would you drive that home? Because nothing lasting is going to happen until that becomes priority number one. Jesus, would you help us to become people who ask caring and insightful questions? And then would you help us to patiently make time to listen and understand and with wisdom and your power in us respond with love and grace? And that last one might be the hardest, Lord. Because some of us have spoken up about sin and gotten bit, gotten attacked. So help us, Lord, not to excuse or ignore sin. But Lord, help us also not to attack or belittle or condemn sinners. Help us, Lord, to speak honestly so that we can point to the futility of their current life and the amazing life your son Jesus offers instead. Thanks, Lord. You're awesome. We love you. We're grateful we can be your children. And Lord, if there's anybody here who's never said yes to your son Jesus, they've never believed in what he did for them on the cross, shed blood to deal with our greatest problem, we're sinners, never believed that Jesus took their place, never believe Jesus early Sunday morning victoriously arose from the dead. If they've never done that, Lord, that's step number one. Might today you knock real loud on the door to their heart. Might they have the faith to open the door of their life and say yes to you. We love you, Lord. Thanks for saying yes. Thanks for taking our place. 
It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray everything. Amen. Ushers, if you could uh, make your way back and grab the offering plates and make your way up front at this time. This is the Save a Spot offering we've been talking about for uh, the last several weeks. Uh, tomorrow, Kevin and Chad will uh, be closing on the property um, at the title company. So this, this offering timing is great. If you usually give online, you can go to the building fund option and the money in the building fund will go towards this Save a Spot offering. If you're not prepared to give today, give me your eyes. We'll take your envelope next Sunday, I promise you, okay? Or we'll even wait two Sundays if you need to. So just want you to know, oh, too bad, can't. No, no, we'll wait. We really will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for inviting us to be a part of your plan to reach northern Emmett County for Jesus. And I believe that's exactly what the Northridge Community Church is poised to do. So thank you for allowing us to adopt them into our family. And now we give these funds cheerfully with expectancy, Lord, uh, looking forward to taking these monies so that we can secure parking for today and secure parking for the years ahead as more people are reached for you. So thank you for this opportunity that we have to give. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray all of these things.